0: Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door. Having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now on to today's episode. Hey guys, how are you doing? A lot has happened since I've been with you last Uh, And of course, you would know if you're listening in um, in normal, real time, that the Queen of England, Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth, I nearly said Queen Victoria. Oh my gosh. Queen Elizabeth passed away just a couple of days ago. Um, Quite a few of you have asked me, am I going to address this? Yes, I will, guys. There's a lot to unpack, um, particularly around the fact that there is as many horrible comments and negative comments about the Queen's passing as there is Um, you know, morning. And uh, I want to just, you just need to give me a little bit of time to unpack it all. I want to be able to do it justice. So I need a week just to gather my thoughts and put some stuff together. So we're going to talk about something else today. I want to look at the whole conversation around gender and gender ideology. And I want to present the case today for why we need gender more than ever. And um, I feel like it's time we had a really good, robust conversation. I haven't really talked about it since I did uh, the book study on the craze seducing our teenage girls, which was the book on transgender. Um, And so I haven't really dedicated a whole topic to gender, but guys, other than climate change, this is 100% the number one topic, the number one ideology that's really kind of um, front and center. And it really is a fast-moving chain, train, and it's like everyone's got to hop on board, and if you don't, then you're uh, you're considered harmful. If you don't, you know, we've got to hop on board the ideas of changing genders, transitioning physically to a different gender or identifying as a different gender or, you know, young people having no gender. And notice, of course, it's mostly young people, by the way, that are um, – that are going with this whole gender ideology. I don't think I've seen one adult, very, very few adults. It's always the teenagers. And so we need to have a conversation about why we need to, um, why we need to get back to the traditional, which is really sad we even have to say that, but the traditional view on gender and why gender is so important to us and to society. Now, just this week, I was actually at a birthday celebration and I met this beautiful mum, beautiful Christian woman. She's recently been divorced and she has a daughter who's only 13 and in year eight at school. And her daughter is transitioning or about to transition to being a boy. Now, I'm not quite sure at what, level because um, I didn't want to ask too many questions. but needless to say, the mother's distraught. and she's distraught for for both sides of the argument. One, you know, she's distraught at the idea of her daughter wanting to change genders, but she's equally distraught at the thought that her daughter is suffering and she doesn't want to refuse her daughter because of what the implications might be. She wants to help, you know stop her daughter's suffering. Now, of course, in my head, I'm thinking, please please don't do it. Like, please think about it. Please, please do some research and ask some more questions. Um, because I, I probably having looked into this topic a lot and had a lot of research and conversations, I understand things such as her daughter has over an 80% chance of changing her mind in a couple of years. And I know that when she does change her mind, that some of the changes that Will be made in her body if she goes down the route of puberty blockers are irreversible. So, what damage might be done then? I also know that she's in pain from her parents' divorce, probably also with the difficulty of going through puberty and who knows what else. And what she's trying to do is to numb her pain and to fix her pain. And she's been sold this narrative that changing genders will fix it. And yet, we know that you know it won't, and that unless she's one of the 0.4% who has true gender dysphoria, then this is a narrative that's being um, being sold to her at a time when she's very vulnerable. She's obviously crying for help and for attention and wants to belong. And I know that you know, if she were going through this just 10 short years ago, or even five years ago you know, changing gender just wasn't an option for these, uh, these issues. And so that she probably would have most likely outworked it in a different way, perhaps an eating disorder or self-harm. So, but what's happening guys is the adults in these young people's lives are just all too afraid to speak up and to stand up and to say, no, like, can we, can we just wait a minute? Can we hold on a minute and just ask some more questions here? And, um, Of course, we're afraid of being cancelled. We're being very fear-driven by by being told that if we don't let these young people go ahead, that they're going to take their own lives. And um, yeah, there's just so many, so many things at play. And so I think it's time for a really robust and in-depth conversation because this is the thing. The very thing that these young people need is the very thing that gender ideology is undermining and that is the family. So what I want to talk about today is this whole thought around if they can redefine gender, then they get to redefine the family. And if you redefine the family, you will destabilize, we will destabilize society. And that's what I want to unpack today. That simple, it sounds simple, but it is not simple, but that thought that if we redefine gender, then we redefine the family, which means we destabilize society. And that is the very last thing that our young people need. They need family and they need a stable society around them. So let's talk about family for a bit. You know, when we think of family, traditionally, it's like mom, dad, the kids, uh, extended family with grandparents, aunties, uncles, cousins, and the family is, and always has been the building block and the cornerstone of society. But if we begin to redefine gender, so think about that. We redefine, you know, um, no longer can you have mum. If you redefine gender, you know, you're redefining dad, aunties, uncles, grandma, grandpa, all of these cease to exist. So redefining gender means the family as we know it ceases to exist. Cause like, what do you call all these people that don't identify with particular with, with the two genders, the two biological genders? Like you can't call the mum or dad because that doesn't fit anymore. And the breaking apart of the nuclear family is one of the greatest tragedies of the past few generations, and I would say is one of the biggest contributors to why these young people are suffering, and then, which is then driving them into the arms of this narrative. So it's like this vicious cycle can we just stop for a minute and think about where this is heading and what confusion that we're actually sowing into the fabric of society when we start to deconstruct gender? I mean, let, let's be practical for a second. So we've got a girl, right? Transitioning to a boy and that transgender boy, is that what you call them? I always get confused with the names. Uh, yeah, so the transgender boy grows up to be a man. Okay, so girl transitions to boy, boy grows up, becomes transgender, uh, becomes a man. So now we have a transgender man. Now, is he, I'll call him he, even though it's a biological she, is he attracted to a female or a male? Do you guys ever think about things like this? I know I twist my brain in knots sometimes trying to work it out. Now, if he, the transgender male, partners with a female, they can't have kids naturally, right? Because you've actually got two biological women. So we then have to introduce a sperm donor, right? Okay. Let's take the other scenario. If he partners with a male, well, being a biological female, maybe he can have kids which is where you get the whole a man can have a baby thing, by the way, except if they've done the actual transition and they've done all the hormone treatments, they've most uh, likely that actually ruins fertility. So now we've got to a male and a male partner that can't have kids. So now what do we need? We need a sperm donor and a surrogate. So, or unless of course, actually here's a spanner in the works. You need an egg donor and a sperm donor, And then you could put the baby in the transgender male if they still have a womb. Are you guys still with me? You might need to rewind that and listen to all that again. But like, if it's confusing to even say it, imagine how confusing to live it. So now when these children are born, the most basic question in life, right? We all have, it's our identity. Who am I? Where did I come from? It's our basic human need. How can a child in that situation form a strong identity when our young people are having trouble forming identities now? So the idea, like I said before, of a family being mum, dad, and the kids, that's called a nuclear family. I actually studied this in the second degree that I did at uni. So I'm going to use some of my old notes and background, but you can still look this stuff up. But the, the idea and the word family comes from the Latin word familia. And familiar means a group of people related either by birth or marriage or other relationship. And it goes on to say the purpose of family is to maintain the well being of its members and society. Historically, most societies use family as the primary locus of attachment, nurturance, and socialization. Anthropologists classify most family organizations as mother and her children, father and his children. And then if you go from the conjugal sense, a wife, her husband and children, and then extended family. So if I break all that down, all they're simply saying is that the main elements of family are the marriage of a wife and husband and the birth of their children. Right, that is what meant to be what family is. Now, it's also God's plan, which I'll touch on in a moment. So, is it no wonder this is what is under the greatest attack? And it's under attack through the pushing of the practice of gender ideology, because the family, in the traditional sense, is husband, wife. And kids, they need to be related through marriage and birth. That is the you know, and and don't I'm not even going to call it the conservative concept of family. It's not even that, guys. We're talking the the concept. That's what family has meant for millennia. It's just only a minute ago that it's been changing. Although, it has been changing slowly since the introduction of divorce. And I think people are are quite open and accepting to family can look different in the sense it can be mom and a stepdad or um, or a stepmom and, and a father, etc. But we're going to whole new levels with this gender ideology. Think of it even from this point of view. Guys, have you seen those um, a few years ago those ads were really popular ancestry.com where you could jump on and find out your family genealogy. Uh, and so that whole study of your genealogy is so that you can trace your family lineage through history. If, if this gender ideology continues, we will no longer be able to do that or it will become very complicated and very difficult to trace. Now, we have traced Cameron's side of the family because we've been trying to confirm whereabouts the Indigenous came from in Cameron's family. Cameron is, I think, one eighth indigenous, maybe a quarter. I always get it confused, but um, we've tried to kind of trace that back. So we've been on these websites, but if we continue with this gender ideology, genealogy will become so messy and complex and almost untraceable. Well, let's talk about how God set up the plan. Um, for society in Genesis. And I've talked about this before, but it's always good to revisit it. He did so by first defining man and woman. So in Genesis 5, 2, it talks about he created them male and female, male and female, he created them. He says it twice just for the emphasis. Um, But then he goes on, the scripture goes on to define a man and a woman and their roles. And when you put those roles together, we get family. And that's found in Genesis 2.24 with the simple verse, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And so all of that, that that one small scripture sets the motion for family. You get a man who becomes a father, a woman who becomes a wife, they become a mother, they have children, become mother and father, and that's how the family uh, is to continue. So family has always been the building block of society and stable families create stable societies. So that's simply when we're going to continue down this line with gender ideology, that is what is going to become destabilized. Because if you redefine those gender roles, you redefine that man, uh, man, male, father, male, mother, female, wife, etc. If you start to redefine that, you actually pull the rug out from what a family has been created to be. Now, let's look at another claim that gender is a social construct. Do you know what that means? Have you heard that before, that gender is just a Western social construct and we need to pull that apart and deconstruct it? What they're saying is, is that gender is an idea that society has forced upon us, that we made it up here in the West, that it's not natural, uh, and that if it wasn't for society, we wouldn't be putting people into these categories of male and female. But guys, it's not just the progressive left that are saying that gender is a social Western construct you guys would have heard of the WHO, WHO, the World Health Organization. We've heard a lot about these guys lately because they're meant to be the world authority on issues of health, right? They're the ones that were setting all the rules over the COVID lockdowns and vaccine and all that kind of stuff. So the WHO, what do they say on their website? This smart organization, guys, let me quote to you from their website. Uh, they made a statement that, quote, as a social construct, gender varies from society to society and can change over time. Gender is hierarchical and produces inequalities that intersect with other social and economic inequalities. End of quote. Guys, I cannot believe that the WHO, the World health organization has got this on their website. Let me unpack that for you. One of the most powerful organizations in the world. Firstly, they're not suggesting gender could be a social construct. It literally makes the statement at the beginning as a social construct, gender, da 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 So in other words, they're saying, oh yeah, gender's a social construct. What? And then they go on to say that gender can change, and that it produces inequalities. So there you go. There's the whole bring down the patriarchy, produces gender inequalities, depending on which gender you are, of course. And this, this is for another podcast, but did you notice their use of the word intersect? It says that gender produces inequalities that intersect with other social and economic uh, inequalities that means that word intersect, that means you take all of the things that determine your equality. They're talking skin color, economic status, gender, to name a few. And what you have to do is you put them all together. And then based on these, depending on what, where you fit, you work out how oppressed you are. So if we were to take skin color, economic status, and gender, and we cross them, or we intersect them, I then, for example, would be a white middle-class female. So I score pretty low on the oppression scale. Um, If, for example, you are a black, low socioeconomic um, male, then you score a little bit higher on the oppression scale. But let me tell you who would score the highest would be a black low socioeconomic female. So they are what you you call your intersectionalities. They're all of the things about you that produce or don't produce inequalities. So basically the who are also saying that your gender crosses in with all these other areas of you, like your skin color and your economic status to determine how oppressed you are. You're welcome. Thank you, WHO. Guys, I really think surely in society we've moved past the time where we, you know, we have girls wear pink and we do up the the girls' nursery pink and the boys wear blue. We all know girls can play with trucks if they want and be engineers and be tradies and whatever else they want to be. But it turns out, guys, it's also backed by research that gender is not a social construct. It's backed by leading psychologists that when girls or boys are left to their own devices, biology affects their behavior as much as society. A study published in 2017 reviewed 16 different studies showing that children who live in more egalitarian countries, in other words, the societies where they've promote equality more, they showed no difference in their toy selection than children from countries with far greater gender inequalities. In other words, it's male and female biology that's driving their toy toy choice more than if not um, as much as societal pressures. So the conclusion is that while gender is partly a social construct, because of course, we're all influenced in part by our environment. It is certainly not just a social construct. So when you hear people say that, that is an absolute outright lie. This study also pointed out the fact that there have been a lot of criticisms over studies such as these, and people want to ignore the science because it does not match their political persuasion. And that is exactly what is happening here. We have got a a group in society that are saying, ignore your biology. They're trying to tell us our biology and our gender identity are separate, but studies show it the Bible shows it. Um, we could we could listen to people like Jordan Peterson who back up this idea from a psychological point of view. Uh, but what they're trying to do is ignore the biology and ignore the science because it doesn't match their political viewpoint that gender must be deconstructed. So guys, we're in a time where everything is up for grabs. We are in a time where Some are trying to redefine everything to suit themselves and to suit their political persuasion. I mean, just a few years ago, we redefined marriage. And there were people that warned us then, guys, this is a slippery slope. It's going to start with marriage. It's going to keep going and going. And they were right. And redefining marriage, that automatically redefined the family. Like if you were to, you know, like I said, it's not a... It's not a conservative um, idea that the family was made of a wife and uh, and a husband and children. That was an idea always accepted by society but with the redefinition of marriage a few years ago came the redefinition of the family. They have redefined other things like what a vaccine... Did you know they've redefined the definition of a vaccine, by the way, to suit the recent mandates? We all know that they've redefined what it is to be a woman and some people struggle and and refuse to define it altogether. And then, of course, we've got the whole redefining of gender. And here is the domino effect. Like I've been saying, if you redefine gender, you redefine the family. And if you redefine the family, you redefine society. And that my friends, is exactly what they're trying to do. They think that the way our society is set up is harmful. Now, of course, there's always room for improvements, but gender ideology is designed to recreate our society. And I'll say it one more time. If you redefine gender, you redefine the family, which means you destabilize society. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, even if you don't share my biblical worldview, like I said, that's fine because I believe that whatever Ways that God has laid out for us in the Bible to live, even if you don't believe that, that what we need to do is find the wisdom. Um, I believe, and I've seen time and time again, that the way that God has set out for us to live is always what's best for us. So even if you don't see uh, or, or believe it because it's a biblical idea, these ideas, like I've just unpacked a little bit of, are backed up by science and psychology, and the study that i read before where the research shows that you know a boy is not a boy just because society tells him so is actually a part of who we are it's in our biology and our biology biology affects our behavior it's also a part of our dna guys in every cell of our body did you know that if um you know if for example in a in a crime case if they're trying to if a body has decomposed too much and they're trying to identify uh, one way that they can identify other than obviously looking at bone structure which hello that also is your biology um so your your bone structure will tell um, the scientists what what uh, gender you are um, years from now, centuries from now, they could dig up your bones and know straight away that's a male or female, but also every cell in our body, guys, every cell, if you extract the DNA out of our cells it will tell you whether that person was a male or a female. It is literally written into the very fabric of who we are. And if we start changing this, we start messing with the foundation of who we are and the foundation of what makes us a great society. Science backs the Bible. But there are people that want to undo creation and restructure society in their own image. And they're making all of these claims like gender is a Western construct, or gender should not be assigned at birth, but rather can be chosen, or gender can be fluid and can change back and forth, or you don't have to identify with a gender at all. And this idea is creeping into all parts of society. Think about how many ways that, that this is changing our society. I mean, this idea is driving our everyday lives. It's driving things like having gender neutral toilets or driving the fact that now students in schools are allowed to choose what uniform they wear. It's an idea driving people changing their pronouns and identifying and, and calling themselves by anything other than he or she. Uh, it's driving this idea of changing our birth certificates to being genderless. We're seeing, you know, puberty blockers being given to children. We're seeing reassignment surgery for teenagers. We're seeing governments funding transgender clinics. Um, we're seeing this idea being being pushed in things like rainbow flags, and we're seeing it driven definitely driven in social media. I mean, here's a recent example, guys, on TikTok that someone sent me. Now, I talked about TikTok last week, and I'd highly encourage you to go back because TikTok is forming uh, a generation's worldview, and it's spreading these kinds of narratives. So I'll read to you this particular TikTok. It had um, pictures of all of these shrimp which I think we call them prawns, I don't know, in know, shrimp. And, and it says, all shrimp were born male, but slowly grow into females as they mature. Like, okay, and that might be true, right? That, that's true. But you can see that they're just peppering away and putting things like that out there on TikTok to make people think, oh, there you go. Even animals change their gender. And they are just so clever with how they're going about it. So they're, like I said, using social conditioning through social media. They're definitely using education. Um, They're using, and I'll talk about the education one in just a moment, because the Catholic education have just come out with a brand new policy that I want to end with today and share with you. But they're they're pushing these ideas through books. Go back to episode 200 if you want to hear a good chat about that. They're using Netflix series. They're using movies, especially Disney movies, and I've talked about that before. They're also using fear telling parents that if they don't allow it, that their children will take their life, telling doctors and psychologists that they'll have their license to practice taken away if they don't fall in line, telling schools if they don't agree, they'll put them on the front news for, you and give them some bad press and then investigate them and threaten their funding. They're pushing it through celebrities like Demi Lovato, who's female one minute, gender neutral the next, and then back to female again. They're using bullying tactics and, and then very emotive language, such as gender diversity or inclusiveness, because it makes it sound good. And then of course, they're also using social peer pressure, just like they did back back with the the BLM, the Black Lives Matters um, uh, tile that everyone was socially pressured into posting. But we won't go down that line today. Let me finish off with the Catholic education department coming out this week with a new gender diversity guide. And some of it got a bit of a bad rap, but I want to unpack it a little bit because I feel like they should not have been given the bad rap that they have. But anyway, let's go into it. So there's a thing on called the Australian Catholic Bishops Conference. And after their conference recently, they came out with these guidelines, um, It was a 12, it is a 12 page guide called Created and Loved. Even that, I was like, I like that. That's really clever that they've called this gender diversity guide Created and Loved. Now, tell me what you think, although it's been reported as a terrible step in the wrong direction by, well, not only some conservatives, but it's actually been called that by some of the progressive left as well, because... They don't like huge chunks of it, but they do suggest, and this is what some of the conservatives don't like, they do suggest having unisex toilets at the schools and change rooms um, to help those students that are struggling in this area of gender identity. And they've also suggested that it's okay to be using pronouns of choice and to have gender inclusive school uniforms. Okay. So they've kind of gone down the line of, okay, those parts are are okay. Let's just, let's just go with it. And let's just make these young people's time as least difficult in school as possible, Uh, which you guys might find this surprising. I actually don't have a huge issue with that at all. And I probably should unpack that in another episode, but their next approach is what's been called by the progressive left or the regressive left, heinous and disastrous. Don't you love their emotive language when they don't agree with something? It's so emotional. So they're calling this 12-page created and loved document heinous and disastrous because they have urged Catholic schools not to rush to affirm trans or non-binary kids' genders because they say it's a phase that will pass. Now, can you see by the way how they use the word affirm? like this is the, these are the progressive left. They're like, they're refusing to affirm our um, gender diverse children. And again, that's, I was talking before about the language of using the word affirm. It's like, well, if you agree with a child who wants to identify as a certain way, you're affirming them, you're encouraging them. And if you don't, therefore you are, you are not affirming them and you are doing them great harm. Anyway, that's a caveat. But anyway, no matter how much the activists jump up and down about this and how disgusting and how heinous it is. Guess what? The Catholic bishops are actually right. And I said this right at the start, you know, it is true that huge numbers of young people when left alone, they do return to their gender of origin. The Catholic um, bishops are correct. And the hysteria of the activists to say it's disastrous and heinous is simply rooted in emotion. I haven't seen them back up their claims by one rigorous scientific bit of research or data. So the activists don't want to tell that part of the story. They just want to uh, talk about their emotions what about listening to some, the young people that are coming out who are detransitioning? I found some diaries on YouTube and I'd highly recommend. It's called the Detransition Diaries about this beautiful girl in um, in America and her pain as she's trying to detransition back again. But the activists don't like to tell that story or the ones of of the those who are suing their parents or the government. They ignore the books that talk about all the proof that points to their journey. Gender ideology being a social contagion. So let me read an excerpt from an article of a journalist who is right into gender ideology. I just wanted to read to you what this um, journalist's response was so that you could see what you can see what I'm talking about, that they use a lot of emotion, but they don't actually use any proper statistics or research or data to back up what they're saying. So this journalist in response to the Catholic school says, the Catholic school's gender identity guidelines oppose gender affirmation and essential medical interventions. Do you hear essential? Sorry, I'm distracting myself. Essential medical interventions like puberty blockers, hormones, and gender affirming surgery. Man, that's really full on that they're saying that those things are essential. Anyway, I digress. In a particularly gross assertion, the ACBC, which is the, um, the Australian Catholic Bishops Conference, says it's against the latter because gender-affirming surgery can result in infertility. Yes, that's correct. That's right. There's also your classic BS masquerading as concern about whether puberty blockers and hormones are unsafe and about whether young people can consent to those procedures. In fact, this journalist says the effects of puberty blockers and hormone therapy are very safe and largely reversible. This journalist, I finished quoting by the way, goes on and on, slamming what the Catholic policy says all of which is true and backed by studies. Hormone and puberty blockers are unsafe. They do result in infertility. They are some in part reversible, but there are many parts that are irreversible and they have not been proven to be safe. They've also been um, uh, carcinogenic and there's all sorts of other studies to show that they're not safe. So what the Catholics have said is true. And yet this journalist they themselves never provide any backup to their claims all they provide is a bunch of emotional language calling it all bs like how how professional of this journalist so i actually say good on the australian catholic bishops so you know where where are the activists long term data to suggest that redefining gender is helpful and beneficial in the long term They state statistics like young trans students are 15 times more likely to take their life. But do you know the group most vulnerable to taking their lives? Probably not because it's not the story that they like to tell. It's actually a group never talked about. The most vulnerable group are those 7 to 10 years after they have transitioned. They are the ones most likely to take their life. So this whole gender ideology that's redefining gender, redefining the family, destabling society is a terrible, irresponsible experiment. What has been proven on the other hand is what causes children and young people to thrive is being, first of all, knowing their identity. Secondly, Uh, being part of a stable family, and then that thirdly leading to a stable society. So guys, I feel like I said an awful lot like I do every week. And I didn't kind of pack that into point one, point two, and point three, because I just couldn't. I, I just the 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 main idea of this today was how redefining gender is just a you know an experiment that's redefining the family and will destabilize our society. That's the big takeaway. But there were just so many angles I wanted to come at it from. So I hope that's kind of helped to unpack that for you a little bit and maybe given you a little bit of courage to you know, not feel like you just have to be quiet all the time. Um, you know, otherwise you're being the harmful person, the non-affirming person. If you actually ask a question or say something, you know, start asking questions, start asking things like, do these, pu- can these puberty blockers, do they cause infertility or, you know, what parts of them are actually irreversible? What actually happens when a young person has reassignment surgery? Like, have you guys seen the photographs of what happens? Have you seen how they take the skin off of these young people's arm, how they maim other parts of their body in order to do the reassignment surgery? Start looking at those pictures. Start asking those questions. Start listening to the young people who uh, who are now in their mid to late 20s, who are absolutely gutted because their life is Literally in shambles because they're trying to detransition back. That is the stories. They are the stories we also need to be listening to. So um, I'll probably share a bit more on that at another time. But I'd really love to share more about this this beautiful um, girl that I've been watching on YouTube. But go along and have a look at it yourself the D transition diaries. I think you'll be really moved by what you see. Anyway, guys, have a wonderful week and I'll be with you on Friday for Parenthood Friday and then back again next Wednesday to unpack the queen and her passing. Until then, have a great one. Bye.